passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast. Show! 208. I think this summed it up really well. Hey, I'm not giving up today. There's nothing getting in my way. And if you knock, knock me over, I, I will, will get, get back up again. There you go. <laughs> That's awesome. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's going on, Shaggy? I don't, I don't know what you did with my host, Josh Dorkin, but uh, for those people who are watching the YouTube version of this, there's a very rugged, not handsome, but rugged... <laughs> Homeless looking man who is now hosting the Bigger Pockets podcast. He's, uh, you know, you're trying to look like trying to look like me. I think you got you got a nice little beard going. What? I, I don't know what you're talking about. You, I, oh, this I sh- I shaved this morning, Brandon. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. Josh has a nice, you know, five o'clock shadow. Man, this happens. <laughs> All right, thank, thank you, Ron Swanson. All right, uh, no, it's a, it's a, it's a nice looking homeless beard. I like it. Really, says the man who's got a mouse crawling around in his chin. It's not a mouse. It's a, like a, it's a worm. It just kind of wiggles in and out. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yes, thank you for recognizing the handsomeness that is emoting from this face. You've also got a plaid shirt on, so you've got a beard and a plaid shirt. You really are trying to be me. <laughs> You're still like four foot nine, so it ain't gonna, it's not going to work. But. I'm just here to mock you, Brandon. That's all. Thanks. thanks. <laughs> good. Good. I'm. I'm all right. I'm all right. You know, it's a. It's a brand new year. This is the first episode, I believe, of the new year. Though we're recording this a couple weeks ahead of time. But happy new year. And yeah, 2017. It's glorious. Yeah, 2017 is gonna be a, a, a gonna be a good year. I, I feel Hope it. So I feel it in my bones. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. No, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. For for all of you guys listening. You know, this is the new year. You know, it's funny after doing this for 12 years now, 
it's fascinating to see what we lovingly call the New Year's effect, which is lots and lots of people get excited about something new at, when, when New Year's comes. And by the way, we always tell them, hey, whenever you get excited, just do it. Don't wait till New Year's. Just just do it, right? But people need an excuse, I guess. So when New Year's comes and, and January is here, you see lots of new, excited, real, would-be real estate investors. And then, of course, over time, that starts to fade a little bit. But uh, happy January effect, everybody. If you are thinking yeah. about it, this is a great time to get involved, start learning, start educating yourself on real estate investing. Definitely encourage folks to you know, listen to the podcast, jump on the site, check out our countless thousands of articles and the millions of forum posts on our forums so they can educate themselves and, and get the ball moving for 2017. So, Are you done, uh, are you, are you done talking? What? You, I fell asleep there for a minute there. I am <laughs> talking about important things Yeah, here. yeah. No, you want to you know something important? I just thought of something while you were talking because I was kind of zoning out. Congrats. No. First thought in, in, in 2017, <laughs> hey, it only took five days. This is a big thought. You're going to be actually really excited. I thought of this. Do you know what today wow. is? Do you know what today is? This is the uh, four-year anniversary of the Bigger Pockets podcast. This is. This is the four-year, our very first, because 52 times four is 208, and this is episode 208. So we started this the first Thursday of January in what was it, 2003? No, 13, 13, 13. I know, we're really bad at math. I know, like, you my finger is like 14, 15, 16, 17. Yeah, seven. Okay, yeah. That would year it was for a second. <laughs> well, anyway, that's exciting, though. Uh, uh, four years. Well, wow. Congrats, and we have not man. missed a single a week. I've not not one week in four years. That's impressive. When I, you know, we've had a couple shows where we have not hosted, but the yeah. show the show must go on. The show must go on. So congratulations on four years. As quick as as Freddie Mercury once famously said. Is that what he said? I thought he said, "We go. are the champions." Show must go. All right. Anyway, welcome right. guys. We had a good uh, show so today. Got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very excited about it. Talking about some. I, I think some higher level stuff, but it's a great show for everybody. And yeah, we talk about commercial real estate. We talk about some mobile home stuff. We'll, we'll dig in in a second. But before we do, why don't we get to today's quick, quick tip. tip. Hi, guys. Today's quick tip. We've given this one before, but it's so important. And uh, we're, we're going to repeat it again. Uh, keyword alerts on BiggerPockets. So if you go to biggerpockets.com slash alerts, you can see a list of the keyword alerts that you have set up or not set out. Keyword alerts are great for keeping track of your local market, but chances are your city may also be a city in another state. So you can actually specify your state or exclude other states in your keyword alerts by adding or excluding other words. So our keyword alerts allow you to say like, hey, you don't want to just look at Lawrence. You want to look at Lawrence, Kansas versus Lawrence, New York, things like that. So I have um, mine. Well, let's say real quick. So like I have Aberdeen, right, is a town I invest in, but there's an Aberdeen, Maryland, and an Aberdeen, South Dakota. And so what I did is I did Aberdeen and then excluded the keyword Maryland or MD. So either one of those, if it pops up, I'm not going to get notified about those. Uh, same with North, uh, South Dakota. So. But these alerts are great. So anytime Fantastic. we're talking about local topics, you want to hear about it. You want to be involved in what's going on in your local market or the market where you are investing. So setting up a keyword alert will trigger you when conversations are happening around that, when people have opportunities in those areas, anything local. So go ahead and set up a keyword alert today at biggerpockets.com slash alerts. And yes, once again, slightly long-winded, but there you have it. All right. Well, yeah, why don't we get on with today's show? So again, today's show, we're talking with a guy named Jack and Jack is doing some really, really cool stuff, both with multifamily and with mobile home parks. If you've never heard our discussions on mobile home parks before here on the podcast, they are fantastic. And we'll put some in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 208. We'll put links to other episodes that talk about mobile home parks as well. Make sure after you listen to this one, go listen to those if you want more information as well. But this is a fantastic show. I just love his, uh, I don't know, the, the way that he didn't jump into a house, like a single family house. Like Jack jumped into a 41 unit property, his first deal. Whoops. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, I love that story. I love that. Just massive actions. All right, guys, today's guest is Jack Basak. And as Brandon just said, Jack just really jumped right in, man. I mean, 41 units in his first property ended up getting into the mobile home park space after that. And has done all sorts of stuff, buy and hold. He's done wholesaling of mobile home parks. It's fascinating. Lots of great discussion about opportunities, how to find them, and how to focus on a niche where there's not a lot of attention and definitively a lot of opportunity. So stay tuned and let's get to it. All right, Mr. Jack Basak, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. 
Yeah, this should be fun today. You know, we had a show, yeah. we've, we've done a couple shows on mobile home parks back in the day, and they were some of my favorite shows we've done, because uh, it's, it's a niche that, I, obviously you do more than that, but you know, that's what I got excited when I saw your kind of bio, because those are some of my favorite shows, and we don't talk a lot about it, so we'll get into that a little bit later, but before we get to that part, how did you get started with real estate? Well, I got started after college, I started thinking, what should I do with my life, and it was going to start looking at getting a job. I guess even before that, my parents had a few rentals, so I kind of helped them out with some stuff, handling some tenant issues, leases, some basic repairs. And then when I was younger, my parents owned a 12-unit apartment building, so I got to go out with them and do a lot of fun stuff like repairing toilets and collecting change out of the laundry machines. Ah, and then fun. I thought, nice. you know, my, my logic was before I got a real job, I thought I should go ahead and invest in real estate try and build a passive income. I was really sold on the concept of real estate and specifically multifamily investing. It made a lot of sense to me. Um, so I really hammered down and started kind of looking at all the resources I could find about it. And that's kind of how I got my start. I made the determination, this is what I want to do. And the question was how to execute the plan. Sure. Uh, so, so you're tw I, 21 years old. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. At the time, I was 21, 22. And you're saying, all right, I don't, I don't want to get a job before I have any money. Before I have any resources, I want to start building passive income and then I'll figure everything else out. Was that kind of the mindset? Yeah, absolutely. Nice. That's awesome. So then, uh, you know, I grew up in Chicago and around here, things are kind of crazy expensive. And so that was also around the time 2007 where things were still kind of bonkers in prices. The numbers didn't make sense. I kind of studied the concept of Dave Lindahl and emerging markets, and I started looking at other places. And Josh, just so we can get out of the way, yeah, Detroit was one of them. Uh, thank, <laughs> what? Thank I, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, think, really, I think there's static here or something. <laughs> I was really attracted by the uh, cheap prices. I mean, when you looked at it on paper and you could buy an apartment for five, ten thousand, 10000 I guess the question you'd have to ask is why are they only showing Google Street images, pictures, and out of the actual building? But... <laughs> You know, so I ended up having my first deal under contract in Oklahoma. It was reasonably priced and I started doing due diligence on it and it ended up falling apart. And then a few months later, I found a fractured condo deal in Texas around the Houston area. And that was our first uh, acquisition. Okay, so I've, I've got a lot of questions based on that. Sure. So you talk about first deal under contract in Oklahoma, then found a fractured condo deal. Where was that? In Oklahoma or the one in Texas? In Texas, that's what it was. Okay, so here's here's the question I have. You're in Chicago, you're 21 years old, and you've, you're have you looking at deals in Oklahoma. What kind of deals? Why Oklahoma? And then condo in Texas, why a condo? Why Texas? Why not Oklahoma again? It sounds like you're kind of all over the place. So sure. were you all over the place? You know, Did I would say it was, a, it, was a, it was a handful of markets. So when I really started kind of looking at it, I knew that, you know, the articles I was reading, jobs were going to Oklahoma and you have to break it down further into sub markets. And same with Texas. That was kind of the, you know, I found a lot of good publications that jobs were coming. And I figured if jobs are coming, that must be a really good thing. So, okay, got it. Okay, so um, yeah. So tell us what about is them. a fractured condo, by the way. Uh, yeah, I was going to sure. ask the same thing. And I, I wasn't looking at. I was just looking for apartment buildings. So I would just analyze deals one after another, and then periodically you come across these deals where you can buy a large portion of the condos within a complex. This one happened to be forty-one of the forty-eight units, meaning you're buying forty-one of them, but there's still seven others that are owned by outsiders. So they were primarily operated as rentals. And that's what we are going to continue to do. But th they have a lot of differences than just straight apartments. Who's we? You've said we a few times. Sure. We, when I started off, was me and my mom. So she was my original partner and I've done some stuff with her. And that's kind of how I got started. I had a little bit of money, but my mom primarily did the financing on it. Okay. Or should I say the, the equity portion? And we also obtained bank financing on that first purchase too. So you're, you're like young 20s and you bought 41 Units, like straight out, like your first deal. Was that 41 units? Yes. That's crazy, but awesome. I mean, like, because most people yes. are like, I'm going to start with a single family house or, you know, like a duplex maybe. I mean, how did you, know, you get the so guts to I, do that? With helping my parents out with their condos and, you know, they have some townhouses and apartments, I was kind of running around to five or six different areas. And it just really, the whole concept of multifamily made it consolidated. And going out of state, I really wanted to hit that threshold of a minimum of 40 units so I can pack in a little bit of overhead for a decent manager. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Got it. So how did you, how did you end up finding the property? Was it like listed on the MLS or? You know, 
the uh, the place where good deals go to die, it was actually LoopNet. Oh, nice. You know, and I, I know typically it's always junk on there, but we made an offer. I think we had got under contract for 25% less than they were originally asking. And, you know, the numbers really made sense on it. So we moved forward with it. Okay. And you, so you mentioned, you mentioned that line that I've said a lot that LoopNet's like where good deals go to die. Because, like, sure. the reason I usually say that is because... Like most, a lot of big commercial properties, multifamily, apartment, things like that, they tend to get, like the brokers who list them tend to send the deals out to all their buddies first and all of their clients. And if none of their clients want them, then they'll go and put it over on LoopNet. So it's like kind of like, I feel like the leftovers. Now that's not always the case. And I know a number of people I've talked to recently have found deals on LoopNet, which is by the way, L-O-O-P-N-E-T dot com if people want to check it out. But anyway, yeah, I mean, there are still deals to be found everywhere. I mean, the MLS is the same way, right? If you go look on like the normal MLS with an agent for a house, 99% of the deals suck, right? But we don't need 99% of the deals. We need one. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're still there. So anyway, so, okay, so you found this 41 unit and decided, you know, you're going to buy that thing. Your mom ended up putting the down payment down. You got a bank financing for the rest. Is that right? Correct. While it was under contract too, that's when uh, Hurricane Ike came through and hit it. So there was a substantial amount of damage. And when we started getting into it, we found out that we were going to end up having to fix a lot of stuff. So that's just kind of ended up being a real, you know, blessing in disguise. But I just think, you know, that's relevant to say. How so? What do you mean by blessing in disguise? So I didn't really know at the time. There was questions about what they would actually cover. But what ended up happening was we had an insurance adjuster come out and kind of going through all the motions. We ended up getting probably in excess of 200000 in insurance claim proceeds. Granted, it wasn't our insurance policy, but as the HOA, we took it over. So we got to replace all the roofs and, you know, uh, upgrade pretty much the entire complex over the next year or two. Okay. Okay, cool. So next kind of question then on that, when you're financing a 41 out of 48 units, how does that even work? I mean, like, is it just typical 20% down, 30% down bank loan? You know, we were originally going into the deal. It was really hard to somebody find somebody who would finance that type of structure. Yeah. And the original commitment was, I think, for 25% down. And then at the last minute, the bank changed it. And they said, I think they wanted like 40% down, 35. And it was, you know, it was really tough because that was really just a lot of additional money to come up with. But, you know, my mom was able to do that. But it was, it was a really hard deal to finance at that time. Yeah, because, I mean, it uh, seems like... With single single units like that, you'd have to go get forty one loans, which of course you're not going to do. And no, so, it was it was a commercial loan that you know encompassed all the units. And one of the things we structured was individual release provisions, uh, where I could you know sell a condo tomorrow if we needed money, which we never ended up doing that. But that was kind of one of the nice things. I thought it gave us multiple exit strategies on it. That's smart. Got that's it. really smart to think of that way. Because yeah, I love that. So w- were those units occupied when you bought them, or yes. no? Yes. It was fully occupied. I think there was one or two that were vacant. So I, I'm, I'm just trying to understand. So the 41 units that you acquired, was that owned by a single owner or multiple Correct. owners at that point? It was, one, it was one owner. Okay, so there was one owner and they were renting out these, like kind of like an apartment building, essentially. Right. Got okay. it. Okay. And how much, did you to- how much did you spend on it? And then how much total did you end up putting into it? Do you remember? You so on that, on that property, the purchase price, I believe it was $1,045,000. And in terms of upgrades, you know, we had that insurance money, so that was at least 200,000. But at the time, too, we were also upgrading all of the interiors, and we were primarily financing that out of all of the monthly cash flow. So I don't know what the exact number is. We we spent quite a bit upgrading it over the years. Okay. But yeah, so so million 45. So then you mentioned earlier that you had, uh, you wanted to make sure you got a larger property so you could budget in management. So Right. Maybe we can shift there real quick. How did you how did you run management on, on that property? You know, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, <laughs> I initially hired somebody that had experience with a lower class of apartment, and we were really trying to make this a little bit nicer place. And uh, I learned a lot. And the other thing is I didn't realize that at the time, I think she had kind of a uh, corporate background of fraud or oh. at least some accusations of it. So I, I made Oops. that mistake. Yep, that's, uh, that's uh, something that... You know, I thought it was worthy of sharing, and I ended up running the <laughs> complex myself for a while until I found a replacement manager. So you you okay. hired like one person to live there, or did you hire a company? She Sorry, was Josh. an offsite manager, so she would come to the property every day or every couple of days. Okay, got it. Now, so you made a few mistakes. How did you vet that manager that you did put in that you were happy with after you ran it yourself? 
You know, she had a lot of experience, almost 25 years in running like a hundred plus apartment unit complex. And just everything that she told me on the interview questions just really made sense. And it was somebody who I wanted to run that business. Got it. And was she also offsite? Yes, she was offsite. Cool. All right. So you've got this property, you paid a million bucks for it. You're 21 year old. I mean, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got this little empire. It's generating cash. You're going out and getting a job now, right? No. No, why not? You know, it just, it started making, uh, it started making sense, the whole real estate thing. So I I started looking at more deals and I kind of took a break of being very active. I was just kind of terrified because I knew we had bought a big property and, you know, I looked at my friends and I owed a lot more money of them. I didn't own, own my own home. So there was just a lot of uncertainty. So I was kind of scared to take that next big step. Was that enough, that one building, was that enough to finance your life? I'm assuming it had to be, right? I I assume, you know, we were really spending a lot on the upgrades. So like, for example, doing new flooring appliances and HVAC, you know, I I think we spent in a probably the net cash flow for the next few years was eaten up by it. So I was also kind of doing some things on the side to generate additional income. So you're you're a rich, you know, filthy rich Mr. Magoo <laughs> landlord now with a million dollar building and you're doing side jobs to make cash, right? Yeah. That's yeah. right. Okay. See, there you go. No, sorry. You know, sometimes you got to bang it in people's heads that, you know, just cuz you have this big building doesn't mean that you're filthy rich. Yeah. It, um, it was me it was me and the bank that owned it and my mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, and before we go on to kind of what came after that, how did having parents who invest in real estate, how did that affect you? I'm assuming that inspired you and gave you a lot of knowledge, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's interesting. My mom was 100% supportive regardless of what I did. My dad was, uh, God bless his soul, a little bit of a naysayer telling me I wouldn't make any money if I unless I did all the repairs and management myself and that wasn't the road that I wanted to travel down. Um, so it was really helpful to have that perspective. Interesting, yeah. And um, I did, I'm guessing he did all his own work and kind of managed it himself his whole life. Yes. Okay, yeah. So he's to you in a couple of years, Brandon. <laughs> I do not do my own work anymore. No, but like it's get up on my roof and hammer this thing in. <laughs> it is easy to get trapped in that though. I mean like there and, and I think the the thing that I fell into when I was younger is I like I didn't I was not like you, Jack, where I I looked at it and I said why would I pay that contractor $50 when I could go on that roof and nail in that shingle, right? So like I kept thinking in terms of saving money. I didn't term, think in terms of scaling a business or I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And so like, yeah, I was trapped in that for years that I'm going to do everything myself. And it's easy to do it. Now, I'm not saying it's bad people who do that. People listen to the show. A lot of them do their own work. And sometimes you need to do that. And that's just a, a way of living. But, you know, I don't know. For me, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. To be fair, I did that for about a year and I wouldn't trade those experiences for, you know, yeah. for anything in the world. So, yeah, right on. It's nice to be able to know how to change a water heater if you need to, or at least then I can, yeah. I can tell you, like when a guy tells me it's a thousand dollars to change a water heater, I can say BS and hire someone else. So there you go. There you go. All right. So you've now got this property, this, this, uh, you know, let's call it for kind of what it is, apartment building really of condos generating cash for you. Where did that go? Did you end up actually acquiring the, the rest of the condos in the building? You know, how did, how did the, are, do you still own it? No, we actually sold that a couple months ago, but in 2013, that's when I kind of really started to look at everything I was doing and thinking, what did I want to do and try to clear myself of any other obligations other than real estate and we ended up buying a, one person in their own five condos. And that was my first attempt at doing an off-market deal and went ahead and structured a purchase of those. And it was really easy since we were already on site. We just had to get them upgraded. And then now there was only two that we didn't own in the complex. Okay. And then what? You sold it, right? And uh, we sold it a, a couple of months ago, but that was in 2013. So after we bought that, it didn't require much work. So I started looking for my next project and it was either going to be an apartment building. Uh, that was around the time prices had kind of been going up and it was hard to find a good deal. And I had been studying mobile home parks for about a year and uh, I just couldn't wrap my head around the business model. And I started doing a lot of direct mail marketing to both and going out there and looking at both type of assets and making offers and told myself whatever clicks net clicks next is what I'm going to buy. And it happened to be a turnaround mobile home park about 20 minutes away from the condos. Okay. So, okay. Ahead, so, I was say mobile home park. Most people, again, aren't drawn to that. And most people don't like that. You know, I want to, when I grow up, I want to be a mobile home park owner. Like that's not a thing. So what, what drew you to that? 
the idea of the tenants owning their own homes really appealed to me because then you didn't have those large capital expenditures that you know replacing roofs an entire complex you didn't have to replace a pool the people operated you know took care of whatever was in their home and we were just in charge of the infrastructure so that business model was really appealing to me in theory oh i i can tell there's a story <laughs> no, I mean, there's there's a lot of us stories, but to get you know to get to that point when we bought a turnaround complex or a turnaround park, it was you know half vacant, so we had to originally bring in homes and try and get people to purchase them. Okay, so tell Got us it. about that. Tell us about that experience about bringing homes. I mean, how do you buy a mobile home? Where'd you buy them from? What it cost to put them in, and what do you sell them for? Sure, we just looked on Craigslist primarily, and then other. Uh, other park, I guess not parks, other, I guess, areas that were being redeveloped and the homes needed to be moved. We tried to target those people to bring in their own homes because it's a lot better when uh, the actual homeowner transports their home into your park okay. as opposed to, as opposed to buying it and needing to go through the, you know, fix up and rental, et cetera. So that was really, that's when I learned I, I didn't want to be involved in homes. So when I could incentivize a homeowner or a dealer to get a home in there, it just made my life a lot easier. So how'd you do that? So we threw some ads out there on Craigslist, reached out to the dealers and offering to pay to bring in your home. You know, the transport cost could be around $1,600, $2,000, but then you have additional costs of utility connections, skirting. It can cost upwards of four to $5,000 depending on the specifics. So you offered to pay for all that, that four to five grand per person? Right. And then we, we asked them to sign an agreement that you'll keep your home in the park for a minimum amount of time. But the reality is you know, once the home moves in there, I think it's like 95% chance that it'll never move again. So it's, uh, you know, that gave us a little bit of security. So that worked. You were able to fill the park. Yeah, absolutely. Because we, as of right now, that park, it was 20 spaces when we bought it, eight paying homes. And today we're at 19 and hopefully we'll have 20 within the next couple of months. That's awesome. That's awesome. Can, can you tell us real quick for the people who uh, you know have not heard uh, the other episodes that we did on Mobile Home Park? Like one of them that comes to mind is Jefferson Lilly, and I don't remember what number it is, but we'll yep. put it in the show notes. Biggerpockets.com/show208. I'll link to it. But for those people who maybe haven't listened to that or it's been a while, what are the benefits of mobile home park investing? I mean, you already mentioned the people own their own house, so you don't have those big expenses. What else is a good reason to buy a mobile home park? I would say one of the big things, it's off the radar. When you look at apartment buildings, I feel like the returns aren't as great as you can generate in mobile home parks. Another big thing I like is the lower expense ratios. I see apartment buildings typically seem to run between maybe 50-55%. And in a mobile home park, depending on who pays utilities, you might be looking at 30-40% as your expenses. So that's you know a, tr- a tremendous benefit. Another big thing is seller financing can be available if the person owns the property free and clear. And that seems to be kind of one of the you know nice things that you'll find on the occasional property. Is the, is the one that you bought? Did you seller finance that this property? No, we actually uh, we bought it for cash. It was really cheap, and the uh, we offered to seller finance it, and we would I think we were going to pay a little bit more, but they just wanted the money at the time. Got it. Okay, so you've got this property. The idea was to turn it around. So you did that. What What did you do beyond filling it with trailers with with mobile homes? Did so, you do any infrastructural changes, improvements? What did that yes. cost? All that stuff. Absolutely. You know, we ended up doing new signage in the front. There was a lot of cleanup. A lot of the infrastructure needed repairs, such as the electrical poles. We had to replace a lot of those pedestals. The roads were in rough shape, so we ended up doing some work on those. And just there were some people in there that were unsavvy. Those people left the park and now it's like a really nice family community. I remember at the front of the park, there was a home that had a couple of pit bulls and, you know, in front of a cage. And I would watch the kids at the bus go to the bus stop every day and you could see the terrified look on their parents' faces. So we ended up buying <laughs> We ended up buying that house, and those those people left. But I, you know, I really like pit bulls. The uh, only problem is the insurance companies don't really allow that to have those in your park. So we not only did we transform the property, we transformed the community there. Yeah, you know, speaking That's of awesome. the pit, speaking of the pit bull thing, it reminds me like of a, a, we had a situation a couple months ago come up where. Um, you know, based on in my state, Washington state law. Oh, yeah, you right? had an issue. That's yeah, right. Yeah, based on Washington law and a lot of states' laws, it's you can't discriminate against a service animal or a emotional support animal. But insurance companies will not insure a house that has a pit bull in it. And so we were had this kind of catch twenty two where this lady applied and she had like I think it was four pit bulls and they were all emotional support animals and she got a letter from an online doctor which counts apparently and. 
so we had this problem where do we take this tenant? We can't reject her for it. She she qualified in every other way. And I mean, it's like this weird catch twenty two. And and honestly, uh, I still don't have an answer of what you do in that situation. I mean, other than we found a way to deny her that had nothing to do with the with the dogs because. There was something, I don't remember what it was, but there was some reason that... I think you got a better tenant or something. I think so, maybe, yeah, somebody else applied that was more qualified, and we went the more qualified applicant or something like that. But it's a it's a messy situation. You ever dealt with it, that, Jack? It's a real... Yeah, absolutely. We actually had that situation on a property we took over this year, and we got with our insurance carrier. It wasn't somebody that was looking to apply. It was a property that we already took over, and okay. um, you know, I'm not going to... I don't want to going any you know legal yeah. issues here but we essentially wanted our insurance carrier's blessing because it's kind of a double-edged sword you you can't discriminate against a service animal but at the same time if they're living there how do you protect yourself as a landlord yeah and it's one yeah. of those things that you ask 19 lawyers and you get 25 different responses kind of thing like yeah, like, that's, yeah, like sure. yeah, nobody has like nobody has a good answer for this so even that, talk to the to the you know the housing and urban whatever people you know like the government they don't have an answer for it nobody has an answer HUD. for it yeah, huh, that's what I was looking for. You're like, nobody has an answer yeah. for how to deal with this thing. I don't know. Yeah. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as quantum fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability, service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from Price for Life offer and may be increased. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. 
Download the Redfin app to get started today. Hey, Jack, so why the negative stigma around mobile homes? Why is it that you know people just kind of look down upon it? Investors, uh, oftentimes. You know, there's some parks out there that are obviously not well t- taken care of. Bad things happen to the properties, which make the news. Typically, you don't hear about the wonderful things happening. And there's a lot of really nice communities out there, too. You know, but D-class apartments, I would say, you know, are, are equally kind of have you know, some stigma about them. But when you really go into enough properties, you'll see the ones that might give it the typical name of a trailer park. But then you go to some other ones and they're like subdivisions. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Um, So So you just need to get out and see more of them then. Is that what it is? Is it just walking the parks or driving the parks to know the good from the bad, similar to like neighborhoods? Right. Absolutely. And I mean, there's, you know, and there's an opportunity for for investors right now is trying to find those parks that are mismanaged and really cleaning them up and, you know, offering a clean and decent, affordable place to live because that at the root, that's the business. So, so let's talk about Fair that. I mean, how do you find those parks that need to be turned around? I mean, how did you find yours and how, how should I start looking? Sure. That was a, uh, that was direct mail and I started kind of really? building our list. Yeah. You know, we were looking at what was on the market, but we, we kind of, after that five unit condo deal, I thought it was really uh, wonderful to buy that off market, not having to deal with competing buyers. So I thought, you know, man, this is what I'm going to do. It's brilliant. So I had a lot of people calling and I was checking out the properties. And before I even had a chance to check out this property, I just knew that this was my chance to, you know, get my feet wet with a mobile home park. But I, I at the same time, I fell in love with direct mail and buying properties off market because you didn't have to deal with, you know, agents. You got to deal directly with the property owner. And it was just a lot. It was a lot of fun. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like sometimes the realtor, you know, broker seems to kind of get in the middle, not all of them, but it makes it hard when you need to go directly to the owner and try and resolve some issues on, you know, say negotiations. Yeah. I love that, that you use direct mail. Yeah, for it makes that. sense. Because, yeah, I mean, direct mail marketing, and that's not just mobile home. If you guys are listening to this, somebody listen to the show, I mean, People are using direct mail marketing for you know single family, multifamily, and obviously mobile home parks. Uh, can you explain real quick, Jack, what for those people who have never heard that term before, direct mail marketing? What is direct mail, and what did yours kind of look like, or what does yours look like? <laughs> Mine was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just put together a letter that says, "Hey, you know, I'm looking to buy a mobile home park or apartment building," and sent it out. I kind of got a list of all the properties that were around me and worked to compile it and. So that's how I created my mailing list. I would say the actually the first time I did it, I bought it through List Source, which because I listened to uh, Bigger Pockets and you read the forums for some stuff, and I thought, man, all these guys with single family, they go to this place called List Source, and it was just a disaster. The the I started mailing tenants and everything. Oh, um, <laughs> so I had had to spend a lot of time on creating my own list directly. Okay. Um, so that's how I got it. And how do you, I mean, how do you do that? I mean, do you just drive, driving around looking for mobile home parks or going to your courthouse? You no, know, there, there's, there's some uh, lists out there. There isn't one that's like a hundred percent comprehensive. So I kind of go to a few different sources between county records, you know, websites, there's some lists circulating. There's kind of a health department that regulates certain public utilities. Cause I found where you get a complete list or, you know, allegedly complete list, and then you have one property that's not on it. So it's, I don't know. There is no absolute right answer. And that's kind of one of the strengths is if you take the time to really develop it, it it can give you a competitive advantage. I I love that you said that because I mean, people look at that, right? And so many people are like, oh, well, there isn't a big list. I guess I'm not going to do that because that's too hard. Right. But in reality, that that is the strength of that. Absolutely. Most people won't do it and that you did. That's cool. All right. So what are what are the actual downsides? I mean, what are the negatives of owning a mobile home park? There aren't any. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, Whoops. You know, depending on what type of utility system you have, uh, if you go on private u- utilities, there's a lot more risk and regulation involved with those. So I primarily try and focus on ones that are municipal utilities, just because that way you don't have to worry about poisoning the whole community because then it's the city who's responsible for the actual water quality. Mm. There, you know, there's it, it's a little bit different business. It has its own specifics with uh, some of the clientele. I'm trying to think what else is different do you you know i go I ahead say, do, do you find because you've got the, the clientele i guess you like when i think of mobile home parks i typically think of lower income people so and when i think of lower income people i think of more difficult to manage i mean generally the, the lower income would, the more difficult do you find I, that true i would i would say that's not true and actually that's one of the things i really enjoyed from transitioning you know while we were upgrading our condos and i had these mobile home parks it was a lot more humbling to deal with people who had less money because you know you're going to sign a lease 
in 100 degree weather and the person doesn't have any air conditioning, you know, so I wouldn't, you know, not everybody didn't have air conditioning. I don't want to paint paint the wrong picture, but, you know, and just in seeing all these families together and playing with their kids, because some of the complaints we started getting as we made our condos nicer was, you know, just weird stuff like, oh, somebody flicked their cigarette butt in front of my door. Like, I would never get that on my mobile home. so. That is true. That is yeah. true. The, the the nicer properties, people tend to be a little more picky or I don't want to say complain more, but I don't know, easy, more easily offended maybe. I can see that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's just, I, I know we kind of covered this, but you know, I'll, I'll ask it again holistically. What could, what should somebody look out for specifically when looking for mobile home parks? Is there, is there something beyond what we had talked about that you, you kind of that vibe, that feel that you get, but that sets apart the good ones from the others? Or maybe I can even tweak that to say, you know, what sets apart the good opportunities from those that may not be as good? And, and how sure. would you identify that? I think having a good market is really important. If you go to a really poor area, a mobile home park won't be very successful. If you go to a better area where there's a large demand for housing, typically mobile home parks are going to do better in those areas. Essentially, when you go up in size, it's more uh, desirable. There's a lot more people looking at it. So if you have a 150 space park, you're going to have a lot more interest than, say, a 30 or 40 space park. And then below market rents, a lot of these properties will have low rent. So if you find one that's below market, you can kind of upgrade it or just raise the rent over the course of the next couple of years. Uh, like for example, the property when we bought it, the rents were probably 25 or 50 bucks under market, but the uh, property was paying for the water bill for the tenants. So we didn't increase the rent. We just said, hey, from now on, you're going to pay your water bill. And right away, you know, that took off a big expense off of our you know, income statement. So those, any of those value adds are just wonderful. Or if you have vacant lots and you're not paying up for that, once you factor in the purchase price of you know, the park, that's good. Because if you get a home in there, then you increase the equity and the cash flow on the park. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So what have you done since this mobile home park? I mean, the first one, have you bought more? What's your business look like? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, uh, we ended up buying a really small park that was down the street from this one. And at that time I started really kind of aggressively building that direct mail marketing list. I hired a virtual assistant to help me with that. And we started looking at kind of more areas instead of just maybe a two hour radius. We started looking at kind of all over Texas and a few different markets around Illinois. And I just started kind of blasting out this direct mail. One of the uh, phone calls I got was from a guy who was trying to sell like a, a $15 million property. And I thought, man, that's terrifying, right? And then I looked at the numbers and tried to seriously evaluate it. And the deal actually made sense. I just didn't know what to do with it. And a couple months later, I found that somebody else had bought the property and had earned an assignment fee on it. And I thought, man, that's kind of sucks because I could have earned that assignment fee. I just didn't know what to do. So that's that's what I spent the next few months doing is just kind of sending around a lot of direct mail. But I was really hoping to find our next uh, property that we could purchase. So, so you found this fifteen million dollar property. You didn't know how to how to deal with it. You couldn't finance it. You couldn't figure that out. So you moved on. Somebody else came in, found it, thought it was a good deal, and went and assigned it to somebody else who ended up buying it. That's that's what you're saying, correct? Yes. And they made a fee for it, like a wholesale. So, right. did you start to do that? Did you start wholesaling these these parks mm-hmm. or? You know, I just saw that there was a new, another tool in my tool belt when I kind of came across that situation. And, you know, knowing that you kind of passed on that and then you saw how, you know, the end result was, I I just really, I, I found my next property, which I thought we were going to buy. And I guess we were moving back to Illinois at the time and I kind of started looking at some alternatives. So then I, I reached out to a couple of mobile home park operators I knew and that was, you know, the first contract I ended up assigning. Got it. So basically, for those people not familiar, um, assigning is that process of where you like put a property, you find a good deal, you put it under contract, and then you uh, basically assign the contract or sort of sort of sell the contract, but you assign it over to somebody else for a fee. And so, did I get that pretty much right, Jack? And what you yeah. did there? Okay. So, what does that look like in terms of like? Do you mind like what do you make on an assignment fee on something like that? Sure. Well, that deal, um, the uh, purchase price was five hundred fifty thousand. And we ended up getting a forty-five thousand dollars assignment fee on it. Whoa! Wow. So that's more than the typical, like you know, I'm going to go wholesale a house and make three grand off of it. Forty-five yeah, is a little nicer. You know, I've I've heard heard a little bit of a range on single-family homes, but you know, at the same time, I was passing on a big opportunity, which you could have increased the equity by six or seven hundred thousand over the course of the next few years. So sure. And so why did you not just buy the property then instead? You know, that one was a turnaround property, and. 
I wasn't going to be comfortable, you know, boom back to Illinois and trying to run this one remotely. It just, I, I kind of had my concerns about doing it successfully. So that's why I thought, you know, that it made sense at the time. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and that I, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes the best choice is just to have somebody else do the project because, you know, it doesn't fit with what you think you can do best at times. So I think that's cool. Sure. All right, so, so now you kind of got into the business of basically wholesaling apartment, I mean, uh, of mobile home parks, right? Right, yeah. I was, uh, you know, my primary focus was trying to find the deal because I knew if I found the deal, I could either buy it or somebody else could. So I would either go into the deals thinking, man, I could buy this, or sometimes I would, you know, talk, start talking with somebody and say, hey, I got this lead on this property. Are you interested in it? They would say, yeah, we're interested in it, but, you know, the price needs to be 100000 less than just, you know, trying to, trying to work like that. Yeah. Cool. So, so how many total deals have you done now? I mean, between assignments and your own stuff, just mobile home parks or, or everything? Um, yeah. I don't know. How about just mobile home parks? So mobile home parks in the last three years, I've done 11 uh, mobile, mobile home park deals where we either assign them, we partnered on them or we own them ourselves. That's fantastic. Got it. That's cool. So looking back now, like over the past, your kind of career, so to speak, since 2007, 2008, 2009, like what advice would you give your 2008 self about this whole journey? Probably to buy more property at that time because it was a, it was a good time, you know, prices were low and, you know, right now we're kind of in a different point in the cycle, I think, where prices have kind of come up, cap rates are, are, you know, down. And um, so I think it's just really important to really focus on trying to get good deals with value add and upside. Right on. So uh, in terms of cap rate, is there an average cap rate you're looking for on a mobile home park? I, it's funny, I was I was just browsing around on the uh, last night and came across a, a park and, you know, I had never actually looked at a mobile home park and I was like, yeah, you know what, I wonder what these things should really be ranging in. So the timing is apropos that I get to ask you. <laughs> so I guess 10 cap would be great, but now the market's really competitive. And as you get into the nicer properties, larger ones, you can get as low as say maybe like a seven cap or even six cap, five cap in some of the uh, states like Colorado or you know California, if they're really desirable properties. If it's a mess, it has things wrong with it, you might be able to go 12 cap or 15 cap. So there's a, a very large variance. I would say 10 cap is a really safe number. It's harder to find those deals. So if you go maybe a little bit lower with some value add upside, that can also make a, you know, a good purchase. Would you say that like, let's say I could get a 10 cap on a, a mobile home park or a 10 cap on a multifamily, like an apartment complex. Now, theoretically speaking, a 10 cap, I should get the same return on my investment on either option. Would you say a 10 cap on an apartment is actually better or worse than a mobile home park? And question. Well, I would say so. You know, a couple months ago, we when before we sold our condos, I was at around a hundred units, and now we're at fifty after we sold those, or about fifty. And I would say our number of units decreased by, you know, half. But I would say my workload probably decreased by eighty-five percent. So I'm a real big proponent of the mobile home park business when you don't own the homes because I feel it's structured right. It can be a very, uh, a relatively passive investment. And there's just it has a lot of benefits to it, so I, I feel like I'm going to get less gray hairs over the long term being in mobile home parks. Yeah, right on. It makes right a lot on. of sense, actually. All right, so we're about to wrap up this this part of the show. I've got one question left. I feel like we 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 never closed an earlier discussion that we had. So you bought those five extra condos. Now you had two condos that you did not own in the complex. Did you end up buying those? Did you sell the whole building? What did we, that look like? We didn't, but we sold. So we sold our deal as 46 out of 48. And I believe the buyer was able to get the other two wrapped up in that same purchase. So nice. And was that, how did you do on that? Yeah, I was going to say, was it, all worth, was it all worthwhile for you? Like, yeah, abs- absolutely. So, I mean, that was, you know, I, I was intending to hold it forever. And I just felt like the market was kind of going up. And I was, I didn't want to slap myself in the face in a couple of years and think, man, I, you know, really should have sold when I, I think the market was overvalued on some things. Yeah. So it, it was a hundred percent worth it. That's awesome. I've been thinking that too lately. Like, you know, I, I some properties I thought I was going to hold forever. I'm like, yeah, you know what? The market's pretty good right now. And, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. I'll, you know, make, make hay while the sun is shining. Right. Like, I don't know. So cool. All right. Well, awesome. I, I mean, I love that stuff. So l- my last question before we move on to the fire round, like going forward, what is your plan? I mean, where do you see yourself in the next five, 10, 20 years with your business? So right now it's just, I'm kind of spending some time to retool my business and try and figure out some better way to do things and primarily just looking for deals and, 
you know, now we have some, we have some capital we can redeploy. I also paid my mom back her money and, you know, significant profit of that. So that was wonderful. And, you know, she would like to reinvest. I've had other people approach me and they want to invest, but I'm just primarily looking for deals and then figuring out what to do once I find those. Very cool. Nice. Very cool. That's awesome. All right. Well, why don't we shift gears here and head over to the world famous Fire Round. It's time for the Fire Round. All right, let's do this. So today's fire round. Uh, these questions come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums, which of course you can get to by going to biggerpockets.com forward slash forums. Let's do these fire round questions. Number one, what type of like okay deals should investor pass up on to wait for great deals? I kind of like that question. It, maybe it's kind of weirdly, weirdly written, but like, should an investor, like, should a person who's starting out, we'll say, should they like bypass all the mediocre ones and only buy an amazing deal, or should they? Just get their feet wet, buy something, even if it's not amazing, if it's just a base hit, uh, just to get to get in the game. I would really focus on getting an amazing deal because especially when you're starting out, you know, there's things you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. So it's real important to build in a big margin of safety. So if you get a mediocre deal, chances are it can go sour. I would really try and find something that's going to, you know, looks very promising. Okay. Right on. All right. Next question. Is it easy to find partners in mobile home park deals? Do they need specific credentials? I don't know if you found partners outside of your mom, but yeah, absolutely. We we did trying to really network with some of the people you know who might have a larger portfolio. You can check out their properties and see how they're operated. I think it's you know I, that's how I found my partners is just kind of networking. Cool, cool. Right. Next right. one. I'm thinking of buying a. It's kind of a similar, not mobile home parks, but mobile homes. I'm thinking of buying a few mobile homes as rental properties. Is that a bad idea? They just seem a lot cheaper than other houses in this area. <laughs> you know, you can succeed with those. I originally had thought about doing that too. I'm happy I didn't. But again, everyone has to start somewhere. So if you know if that's the difference between you getting started and not getting started, maybe you should consider it. Okay. Fair enough. Um, by the way, guys, this is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 208. And you could check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show two zero eight. All right. The question is, I've seen a lot of mobile home parks that are 55 plus communities. Should I avoid these? Uh, you know, it's a little bit different business. I actually looked at one a couple of days ago and uh, she said one of the uh, one of the issues with turn is that people are occasionally dying. So your tenants are kind of cycling. You also might have to offer different amenities because the people might you know, require more. And the, they're on usually to fixed income, so you might not be able to increase your rents even if the market does. So different business, not really what I'm looking for, but not to say you can't succeed with it. Right on. There we go. All right. Well, let's shift over one last time to the final section of today's show, which we lovingly refer to as our famous four. All right. These are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. And uh, let's see what you got to say. Number one, Jack, what is your favorite real estate book? You guys have a lot of good real estate books on the show. The ones I'll suggest one for mobile home parks. It's actually kind of a manual by uh, Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds about how to go through your due diligence when buying a mobile home park. That is very important. So I think maybe the listeners would get, gain value from that. Cool. Is that what it's What's called? The title? I, I think it's the due diligence manual. I'm not actually sure. But, uh, yeah. okay. I mean, if you, if you Google it, you'll, you'll find it. Yeah, so. Frank Rolfe, Dave Reynolds. Right cool. Cool. All right. What about favorite business book? Uh, the Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. Good book. I've not read that one yet. People have recommended that's a, a lot. You're I probably not, should. You're not Real intelligent. Good one. I'm not an intelligent investor, so I stay away from that. But yeah, I'll pick it up one of these days. I have this cool. really bad habit of just buying books when I go to like Goodwill, and I'll walk out with like a stack of like 20 books, and then I never read them. So I think that's somewhere in my stack. But uh, Studies show that households that have lots of books uh, tend to produce children that are intelligent. Oh, despite their, despite their parents, <laughs> good, good. Ro- <laughs> Ro- Rosie has a chance. Yes, yes. She's got a right. shot. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, Jack, Jack. What do you do for fun? What kind of hobbies do you have? I found that every time I get a hobby, I seem to try and turn it into a business. Um, <laughs> and I think it's counterintuitive to having a hobby. So I, I really just try and stay away from the hobbies in general. Um, I most of my free time I try and spend with my family. They're cool. no fun. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. We have a uh, we have a twenty month old daughter and uh, three dogs, and that's enough to stay busy with. That so. is a lot, man. That is a lot. We're nice. cool, Brandon. All right, my final question: What kind of dogs do you have? 
pit bull and two pit bull lab mixes. So okay, all right. So you do I like pit able, bulls. I wouldn't be able to live in our. I wouldn't be able to live in one of our parks. No. Yeah, they're you know, and they they actually you know we work with local I guess pit bull rescue groups. So it's kind of interesting to see you know sometimes people move to different places they can't take the dogs and it's just yeah. it's kind of sad. But uh, okay, yeah. that's cool. That's a, that's a admirable. All right, my real last question: What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from all those who give up? fail or never get started. I uh, grabbed a book from my daughter. Do you mind if I share some wisdom with you guys from it? Sure. Sure. Wait, what is what <laughs> for is those that? for those who can't okay, see. By the way, that is the trolls a song to sing which I have to hear every day from my, my children right now, Poppy and, and and crew. By the way, Trolls is an amazing book for little girls. If you've got them, they love the book. And it's all about empowerment, uh, the, the movie, I mean. So check it out. I, I think this summed it up really well. Hey, I'm not giving up today. There's nothing getting in my way. And if you knock, knock me over, I, I will, will get, get back up again. There you go. <laughs> That's awesome. I've never heard that before, but uh, I don't it's watch. Amazing. I don't watch kids' movies. Come on, I, I'm still yeah. in the like five little monkeys jumping on the bed stage, you know. So, <laughs> Jack, my kids would appreciate everything that just happened there. <laughs> that was awesome. awesome. All right, Thanks. man. Well, like before it. we let you go, where can people find out more about you? You can go on Bigger Pockets, and uh, you can find me there, or you can go on my website, which is MarvelEquity.com. Excellent, excellent. Cool. Well. I want to wish you lots of luck. Very, very impressive story. I, I love that you had the guts to go out and, and bite off more than I think a lot of people would, would want to bite off on their first deal. And, and so, you know, kudos to you for that and congrats on the success of what you built up. And, and thanks so much for sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Sure. All right, guys, that was Jack Basek. Big thanks to Jack for coming on the show it was cool, man. Like I said earlier, like I was just digging around on the internet and found this mobile home park, and the timing's pretty cool. I mean, it's just you know, it, it's a fascinating space that a lot of people don't really think about, and I do think that there's a lot of opportunity that's being overlooked. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this weekend, my wife and I sat down and we looked at our business and we said, you know, I'm I'm kind of tired of buying like all these little deals. And I say that. And yesterday, I put another little house under contract, but like I'm I'm tired of buying all these little properties. So I said, in 2017, I only want to buy. 50 units or greater. I want to buy one property all year, 50 units or greater. And let's see if I can make that a goal. And now doing this podcast today, I'm like, man, maybe like, maybe this is the 50 unit I should be looking for. It's a mobile home. Like, I'm really, really, really intrigued by this. So I'm going to definitely dig in a little bit more, maybe uh, hit up Jack and you know, maybe go that route. You should do that. You should definitely do that. And for New Year's resolution, you should resolve to shave and, and clean yourself a little bit. I mean, <laughs> you, you don't want to see you, me. You, you, look like hell, you look like hell, <laughs> When I'm shaved, I look like a 13-year-old girl. I mean, I normally sound like a 13-year-old well, girl, but I look yeah, like a 13-year-old yeah. girl. It's, 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 it's rough. It's, it's walking comedy, man. Come on. <laughs> this is it's never coming comedy. off. This is going to be, uh, I don't know, who's Motley Crue? Are they ones with the big beards? I don't know. Who's got the big beards? ZZ Top. ZZ Top. That's the word I was looking for. They're all the yeah. same. You know, all those crappy AD bands. Wow. <laughs> really? I don't, listen to anything, I don't listen to anything before like Backstreet Boys. That's That's my... That's my genesis of, of uh, music. You're, you're, you're always into that, like, oh, my life is so miserable <laughs> and I hate myself and my parents. I'm so mad at them. You're still listening to that emo crap, aren't I'm you? I'm still listening to the emo crap, you know? Uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, like, dashboard confessionals or secondhand serenade. You know them uh, at all? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Or a little punk rock, is. like Mayday Parade or All Time Low. Yeah. Oh, I love that stuff. No, no. What, never heard of any yeah, of them. Do, do you want to try and name a band that I actually know? Keep going. Ah, uh, I don't know the OC Supertones. Uh, nope. The uh, who do I listen to? Uh, Jack Johnson. I listen to a lot of Jack Johnson. I've heard of Jack Johnson. Everyone's heard of Jack. He's a, he's a man because he like lives in Hawaii and surfs and then plays guitar and like on the beach. Uh -huh. I mean, how does life get? Well, there you go. Nice, nicely done. I'm glad you, you we found common. <laughs> we found common some common here. music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool, man. Well, listen, congrats on four years. That's, Thank you. Uh, you too. Very exciting and great show and, and lots of luck in 2017. Let's let's all get out there and prosper, guys. So with that, I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com. Your home for real estate investing online.
The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.